0: So I look back on my first experience going to a funeral. I was a young kid. Uh, My great-grandfather had passed. um, We didn't have much of a relationship. Uh, Most of my memories of him uh, are probably stories that have been told of me being there, but not a lot of memories of that relationship. In fact, my primary Primary, mem- uh, my primary m- memory of the funeral was that we got to ride in a limo at some point, and so, so there wasn't a lot of emotional um, uh, significance to that funeral um, experience. In high school, I lost a teacher um, who had t- taught at our school for a f- a for a f- for a few years, um, and we had talked just about every day, and so. When we lost him, um, I know for me and a lot of the other students, that was the first time someone who we spent every day with or that we were regularly in contact with was gone. And so that experience of loss, of something being removed from my life, um, really hit home. I really understood why it was called a loss, and, uh, and it probably wasn't until I lost my dad in 2015 that I really understood grief. I think I had experienced grief, I had experienced loss, but that loss of such a significant part of my life and having the strings attached to grief all of a sudden cut and then more strings attached um, after that just was messier than I ever could have expected. And if you have walked through a grief journey, you know grief is not a clean process. And I think grief, loss, losing someone is one of the most powerful experiences that we can have as a person. I think one of probably the best ways to sum up grief was probably done by by. Yes, Lewis, Uh, probably know him from writing uh, Chronicles of, of Narnia, but he wrote a lot of other stuff too, had a lot of great thoughts on a whole lot of things, but he wrote a book after his wife passed. It is a really interesting glimpse into the complicated journey of grief. And he says, we were promised sufferings. They were a part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn, and I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it's different when the thing happens to oneself and not to others, and in reality, not not imagination. When we are face-to-face with grief, with a loss, with a death, for the first time, It is overwhelming because we are face to face with something that we cannot overcome. There is no undoing death. And so it is a very powerful event in. Our lives when we experience loss. We're in the beginning of a, of a series that we started um, last week called When Love Comes to Town. It's a riff off a song written in 1988 that we're looking in and we're looking at snapshots of Jesus when he encounters people, when he loves people, when he is working with the people that he came to save and that he came to serve. When he embodied love in human form, came down and loved us so much, and so we're looking at snapshots of what that looked like in the life and in the and in the and in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had a really good knack for surprising his followers by his actions. He never quite did what he assumed, what what he was assumed to probably to d- 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 do. He never met expectations. He tended to exceed them. He never had the timing that the people around him wanted him to. And so the Gospels have this really cool theme of Jesus sh- sh- showing his people who he is and what he is about, them forgetting, and him having to repeatedly show them over and over and over again who he is and what he is about and why he is here. And many of them who were with him day in and day out for three years didn't really get it until after he was crucified. And even then, a few of them took even longer to really understand what he was about. And so I know for me, that's encouraging because I can relate to needing things repeated over and over and over again to me before I finally get it. My parents could attest to that as well. And so we enter this particular story, this particular snapshot of Jesus's life towards the end of the story. He's walking into a grief experience. At the beginning of the story, Jesus receives word that Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is sick. Jesus doesn't really alter his timeline. He doesn't rush to the scene. In fact, his, his followers tell him, hey, stay behind. The people in that area don't like what you've been up to, and they're probably going to try to hurt you, try to kill you, something like that. You probably should not go. It's probably not wise. And so Jesus g- goes in his own time. He doesn't rush. He arrives and Lazarus has died. He's been dead for a few days. And he's greeted by Martha, who says, if you had only come in time, my brother would not be dead. Now, most people who look at that, look at that less in terms of her challenging the Savior of the world and more of raw grief. Just a, just a sister who is grieving and is raw, with emotion. And she goes to Jesus knowing what kind of power he has, and knowing that had he been there, her brother would not be dead. Jesus, Jesus continues on, and when he sees Mary and the rest of the people grieving at the tomb, Scripture says he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now, translators kind of are in a little bit of disagreement about how that should be expressed uh, from the original language. Some people take that as he was angry. He had a flash of anger. Um, Some of it strictly says he was deeply troubled. Either way, we get this picture of Jesus' emotional reaction to the scene. And we see the shortest verse in the Bible. Some of you probably already know it. I always wished in Bible drill that this would pop up because I was like, this is, this is, this is definitely going to be the easiest one, right? But they always gave us much longer ones, all right? Jesus wept, John eleven thirty-five. 35. Easiest verse, if anybody's ever like, quote scripture, boom, right there, right? So why was Jesus weeping? If we kind of know where this story is heading, if we know that he is about to show us his glory and his power, why is Jesus weeping? Is he, is he grieving for Lazarus? What is happening here? And so when we look at Jesus' um, um, actions here, he's walking up. He is seeing these people grieving, as Paul would say later, like the world grieves, without hope. Jesus came into the situation, saw this grief without hope, and he was overwhelmed with emotion, even a little bit angry, maybe a little frustrated there. There's nothing prideful in that anger. There's nothing, um, there's nothing insecure. There's nothing, you know, really wrong with the anger. That's a righteous anger, a righteous sadness there. He's not... He is not sad without hope. He's looking at a people who are feeling the effects of sin, and he's grieving that. And so I feel like that is love. When he walks into that situation, he is so overwhelmed with love for his people, for the people who are grieving without hope, that that overwhelms him with emotion. Even though he understands why they're, why, they're, why they're grieving, he is hope. And so he's like, no, hope is here, and yet you're grieving. And so many times we grieve without hope, without even realizing it. And so Jesus came in to kind of flip the script on that. He came in to change the way that we viewed probably the greatest enemy which is which is which is which is death. In fact, a few chapters earlier, he had just said and he was looking ahead to his eventual resurrection, he had just said soon the day will come that I will overcome death. But per their their t- their, t- t- their t- 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 typical pattern, they forgot. And so that's where we're entering the scene is Lazarus has died. Jesus had, has just shown this big emotion. And we're going to hop in in verse 38 of John chapter 11. So starting in verse 38, it says, Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay, ag- lay, ag- lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the d- dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Unbind him and let him go." So the first thing I want us to look at here is that love is not contingent on circumstances. Jesus is walking into a grief situation, one of the hardest situations that we can experience. He's walking into a messy situation, messy grief, which is all grief. And then immediately makes it a little bit messier. He says, roll away the stone. And then immediately he is confronted with all the reasons why, hey, Jesus, that is a bad idea. I don't think you understand what you're asking here. Lazarus has been dead four days, again, because you were late he probably smells. Don't, don't roll that stone away. Don't make this any harder than it already is. Not a good move. Not a wise move. And so many times, we don't want to invite Jesus into our messy situations. We don't want him To roll away the stone because it's like, oh, Jesus, that smells. You don't want to go in there. Let me clean up first. Or actually, could you have just come earlier? It wasn't as bad. We're very big on appearances. And even with Jesus, who knows everything anyway, we, when we're inviting him into our lives, oftentimes we don't invite him all the way in. We invite him just enough to where it's comfortable. And Jesus says, no. It's going to be uncomfortable, and that's okay. And that is okay. Jesus comes to love us, whether, it's, whether it is easy, whether it is hard, whether it is uncomfortable. When Jesus comes to love us, it's not dependent on where we are in that moment. He's coming us to love us in that moment. And so we can, we can, we can, we can rest, uh, rest in that. Second thing. In verses 40 and 41, it says, Jesus, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the, so they took away the stone. I love that response because Jesus is recalling his earlier, his earlier conversation with her. He asks her earlier, do you believe that I am powerful enough to overcome this? Martha says, yes. This was probably hours earlier, if that. And Martha again is like, hey, we probably shouldn't roll this stone away. And he says, didn't you just hear me say that if if you believe, then you will see the glory of God? I can very much relate to this. Um, I think a lot of us probably look at that and say, all right, Martha, that's probably me here. Um, Martha's response is probably what most of us say. There's this pattern throughout Scripture. Um, throughout, the old, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Throughout the New Testament, with the followers of Jesus, where Jesus reveals himself, where God reveals his power to his people, they forget, he reminds them, rinse, repeat, he shows the sign, we forget, he reminds them, rinse, repeat, and over and over and over again. That is the pattern of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, even the followers of Jesus who are with him every day. And so I can for sure relate to that because I can promise you that my wife and I don't have the conversation every night where my wife says, "Um, Hey, when are you going to learn how to turn that light off in the room when you leave? And, and, and I said, it's not a matter of knowing how I just forgot. I got excited about coming to see you in this room, or I got distracted or whatever, right? So it's not a matter of not knowing how. I have strictly forgotten for one reason or, an, or, a, or, or, um, or another. So every night around the 9.30 or 10, all right, we're having the same conversation. Again, not because we haven't already had it, but because it needs to happen again. And so Jesus is having these conversations over and over and over again with his followers of who he is and what he is about, And we need that. Our memories are very short. We forget very easily, and we have a very patient God who is okay with reminding us. Now, don't don't take that run with it, be like, great, no memory required. This is great, all right? So we want to make sure that we are trying to remember that we are learning from what God has taught us, right? But Sometimes we just need to be reminded, whether that's through his people, whether that's through his word, whether that's through prayer, whatever. God models, Jesus models reminding his people of something he literally just said. It's in scripture. It's there. Rest in that. All right. So love is never wrong. When Jesus loves us, he's not loving us in the wrong way we're wrong a lot. Jesus is never wrong in how he loves us. It might not come in the way that we were expecting it to. It may not be the most comfortable thing ever, but God is going to love us and God is going to know what is right for us and good for us, whether we know or not. So the last thing here in verse 42 through 44, this is kind of the climax here, all right? We see Jesus praying to his to his heavenly father and I want you to look at this. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Man, how often let's let's just let's just imagine we are in this situation where we're about to pray for a, for a for a miracle to occur. We don't bury the lead, right? We don't, we don't start off the prayer, usually, with thanking God. I would venture to guess it's a majority of us that probably wouldn't. We would start off with what we want, what we, what we, what we need. But the way he asks this here, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He's already been praying. He has been praying continuously. Jesus operated his life in continuous communication with the Father. Oftentimes, we kind of use him as like that red phone. We're having an emergency. I need to contact God now. You should have already had that phone picked up the whole time. We should be in constant communication with God. That love is not only there when we're having a crisis, God is not only there when we need him, God is there all the time, and Jesus is modeling that for us in his prayer. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Did you hear him request for Lazarus to be raised in there? It's not in there. He is reminding the people standing around from what is about to happen, he is about to tell Lazarus to come out of that tomb. And he knows, because again, we forget that those people need to be reminded of whose power it is that is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he is reminding the people around him where that power comes from. We forget and we rationalize and we call things coincidences a lot. We're really good at making excuses for things that God is responsible for. And Jesus is opening with giving the credit for what is about to happen to God. He's not messing up the priorities. He's not doing the thing and then giving God credit after. He's giving God credit from the beginning. That's not, that's not our posture a lot of the times. It's like, give me what you need, and I'll tell everybody. I'll tell everybody that you did this. If you can do this, I promise, I'll, it's going to be shared so many times. People are going to like it. People are going to heart it. People are going to happy face emoji it. It's going to be great. After. After you do it. After you give this to me. And so Jesus is giving God the credit from the start as a reminder. So then with authority, he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. This is oftentimes referred to as the greatest of Jesus' miracles outside of his own resurrection. It's kind of the climax that kind of the rest of his miracles have all been kind of working towards is he has been overcoming things that then could not be overcome um, um, any other way and then he says but but this thing to death I'm going to overcome that too and I'm going to show you how powerful God is when we're confronted with t- with death, there's nothing that we can do to undo it. There's nothing that we can do to, n- n- to just negate it, to cancel it, to undo the effects. It's final for us. It's undefeated. It's undefeatable for us as humans. Now, as followers of Christ, we obviously have that hope that when we die here, that that's not it. But the earthly death is an enemy that we can't overcome, and that is terrifying. We fight it. We fundraise for it. We do everything we can to prevent it. But when it comes to death, once it happens, it happens. And that is what makes this miracle, this instance of Jesus, so significant for us. Because he beats the thing that we can't rationalize away, that we can't argue away, he overcomes death. It's a game changer in a way to where it's not just changing the game. It's a different sport. It's a different field. It's a different rules. There's no boundaries. It is a totally different situation when Jesus enters play. So, This is not like anything else. And so Jesus is painting that picture for us of when love comes to town, when he comes to town, when he comes into the picture, when he comes into our lives, things change. Amazing things happen. So what does this mean for us? All right, What does this mean for us in 2019? What does this mean for us in January? What does this mean for us today? Maybe you're walking out of 2018 carrying the scars or the chains or the weight of the sin of 2018 maybe that's a burden for you maybe you're already carrying the weight of 20 of 20 of 2019 or 2019 to come on your shoulders what jesus shows us here is just a preview of the ultimate victory that he will win over death with his resurrection when he dies and is and is resurrected, he never dies again uh, Lazarus at some point he dies again. Jesus wins the ultimate victory over death and paints that picture here, not by a battle of will, not by having the best new year 's resolution in the middle of <laughs> of of, of Mardi Gras where it's like, man, I said I wasn't going to eat bread during Mardi Gras, so it's going to be good. Not a good idea, right? But you know, um, a lot of us try it, right? It's not by a battle of will that this happens. It is by the power of God that this happens. The battle was won by a savior who came, lived a perfect life as a human. Experience the pain, the death, the suffering, all of the things that we will ever experience. He experienced that and more so that we could have the opportunity to win the battle that is unwinnable on our own. Because of him, we have hope. That is the key word here. He is giving hope to those who did not have any. For those of us who were once lost, who were once not followers of Christ, he has given us hope. And for those who are not followers of Christ, he offers that hope that that nothing in the world can offer. So I hope that's encouraging. I hope that as you tackle whatever you are tackling in your life right now, if you are a follower of Christ, you've got hope that nobody else has. Not even close, not even a little bit, and we can't explain it away. We can't call it coincidence. We can't call it anything else. It is hope that only comes from Christ. And so that is huge. And so I don't know where that hits you. I don't know where you all are in your spiritual walk. But wherever it is, there's hope in Christ. So we're going to have a time of response And um, whether it's in your seat, whether it is down here on the steps, whether it is with one of our ministers here in the front, we want to process with you whatever you need to process. We can pray with you. You can pray through whatever. um, But we're going to have a time of response. We're going to sing. We're going to um, have the opportunity to come up here. Um, If you want to join our church, if you want to come alongside what's happening in this family of of faith you can come and do that in this, in, this, in this time maybe God is calling you to something in this new year that you've been praying through and you're really unsure respond to that now don't, don't put it off because it's intimidating or hard God has won the ultimate victory here we see that here, we see that in his death and resurrection He's won. So don't worry about the, the, the end game here. Worry about what God has called you to do and is calling on y- your life right now. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you have created us to be. I thank you that you love us en- um, enough in spite of ourselves in spite of the fact that we forget, that you love us enough to remind us of your love. I thank you for the ultimate example of your love in Jesus. God, I pray that that would just infuse itself into all parts of our lives. Uh, God, I pray that if there is any part of our lives that we are not letting you overcome, if there are things that we have not surrendered to you, God, I pray that we would give those up to you. God, I pray that if there are chains bonding anybody here, God, that you would help them break those chains. You are the healer. You are the savior. You are our life. And so, God, I just pray that that would be real to us today. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Um, Amen.